reading from the epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Reading from the twelfth chapter of the or the sixteenth chapter, the gospel according to John, beginning with the twelfth verse. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, because He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. For this reason I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Trinity Sunday is an excellent Sunday to decide not to use the lectionary to guide one's preaching. Um, If you aren't aware, I guess it could be possible, but on the back of your hymnal there's a, a list that says lectionary readings for next Sunday. If you read those ahead of time, it might kind of help you prepare to hear what God gives me to say. But I follow that lectionary, not all the time, but most of the time. And this is one of those Sundays when you could kind of want to leave that thing alone. And and at least one of my preacher friends posted on Facebook that they were going to leave it alone. Because what can happen to you when you preach on the Trinity is you can find yourself teaching some mundane heresy that's already been condemned by the church centuries ago. You can struggle to make sense of something that the eternal God who inspired the Scriptures, seems to have thought might have been left better for us not to completely understand. We've called it a mysterium tremendum, a tremendous mystery, something that's hidden from us because our minds are quite possibly too finite to handle it. Our minds are finite. And having said that, I find that I offend myself because I like to think that I'm pretty smart and if I have enough time and just the right person to guide me, I can figure anything out. But... I can't figure out the Trinity. I could think about the Holy Blessed Trinity from now until Jesus comes back, and I'm pretty sure I still will not have a clue how God can be three persons in one being. I can say it. I can believe it. 
even more, I can believe in that God and how that God has revealed Himself to us, but I can't make sense of it. I don't know how that works. I don't know how three persons can be one being. I did see a meme this week. If you're, if you're on Facebook, you know what memes are. They're pictures, right? And on that picture, there's a caption. And they're usually intended to be pithy or funny or to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't know why people on Facebook like to make people feel bad about themselves, but it seems to be an Olympic sport there. But some preachers that I know were sharing a meme on their Facebook. It was a picture of a soft, little, demure-looking kitten holding its little paw up like this. You just want to pick it up and love it. Little, tiny, kitty, soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Anyway, the little kitty's laying there and it's reaching its paw up. And there's a caption under it. And it said, how not to commit heresy preaching on the Trinity. Say nothing and show pictures of kittens instead. Pretty much anything we say can get close to unraveling it. When we do the little thing with the clover, we're actually confessing partialism and saying that God is divided. When we talk about God being water, gas, and ice, we're saying that God is modal, meaning God appears in a certain mode to us, whatever mode we need. Um, All of those things were condemned. So it's really kind of good advice to step back and not do it. But it's good advice that I just can't follow. Because for whatever reason, God saw fit to call me to proclaim the gospel. And part of the good news is that God is three persons in one being. This day we're asked by our mother church to remember that to remember the unity of God so that we might take hold of the unity that God intends for us. But the first thing I want to emphasize to you is this. The Blessed Trinity is not a doctrine or an idea. The Blessed Trinity is a being. Not a set of words to be believed, but a person to be believed in. A being. The idea that became the doctrine of the Trinity arose out of the church's experience of God. Of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is not an idea, but a being otherwise known as God. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Wesley brothers, the God of Adna United Methodist Church. That God, that Trinity is a self-revealer who calls people to Himself. And shows love through Christ and guides us through the Spirit. That Trinity is a self-revealer who enters into relationship with His creatures, bringing about their own experience of joy, of love, and of hope in God. It's that experience of God that is expressed by Paul in the Romans text and by John in the Gospel text. They don't convey the idea of Trinity, but rather what the Trinity does. John recounts Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth. And we know from John's account that Jesus is the truth. That Jesus said, I am the truth. And so we can discern that the Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus and Jesus claims us for God. Paul and John tell us what the Trinity do. Jesus is the one who is at the center of existence. And the Spirit leads us to Him. To glorify the Son by taking the love, the peace, and the joy of the Son and declaring them to us. Giving them to us. Giving us the life of Christ. 
All the glory, the love, the joy, and the peace that are God the Father's are also God the Son's and are given to us by God the Spirit. Three persons in one being inviting us into a circular dance of love and sharing of the entire self. Three persons in one being revealing God's self to us. Even in the midst of suffering, we share in the life and the glory of the triune God because the love of God, the love that is shared between the three persons of God is poured into our hearts by God the Holy Spirit. God revealing God's self to us through our love for each other, our love for God, and God's love for us. That love is poured out into us so that we can have hope. And that hope will not disappoint us because it's the same love, hope, and sharing that unite the three persons of the Trinity. And so we are invited into God's dance of life. God's dance of love as God's love has been demonstrated to us as Jesus danced on the cross. As the Son became one of us, danced among us, and died for us while we were still sinners. This is the experience of the church that causes us to see the presence and power of God in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. All who hear the story of Jesus and respond to it by saying Christ is Lord, do so, Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own intellect, not by our own reason, but by the Spirit's calling and the Spirit's guiding, we are led to proclaim that Christ is Lord. And we share that early experience of the church that drove them to ask, what does this mean? To ponder deeply the nature of God who loves and reveals God's self so deeply. A God who so desires to share God's love and life with us that God became one of us. There is no separate God the Father. No separate God the Son. No separate God the Holy Spirit. But rather, there are three distinct persons in one being. I cannot explain that. I wish I could. If I could explain that, I could write a book and sell it to other preachers. But I know that it's the only way to make sense of the New Testament witness and the witness of the Old Testament. It's the only way to make sense of the early church's experience of God and of our experience of God. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit gives us a way of thinking about how God is interacting with us that prevents us from coming to the conclusion that there are three separate deities. Which is something that some of our Jewish friends think we do anyway. They think we worship three gods. They don't accept our premise of three persons in one being. And they do so because of the Shema. A passage in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4-9, through 9, if you want to look it up later. Jesus quoted from that when He was asked about the greatest commandment. I want you to hear verses 4 and 5. They read this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity, that God is three persons in one being, allows us to make sense of the witness that God is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God's power and presence were seen in Jesus of Nazareth. That God's power and presence were seen in the church after the giving of the Holy Spirit. 
the doctrine of the Trinity allows us to make sense of the Old Testament witness that there is only one God, that God is one. And so we say God is three persons in one being. Without that understanding, the church's experience might push us to conclude that there are three separate gods. And that would clearly violate Scripture that says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In your bulletin is a little diagram. looks like this. You can read it later. I just want to tell you what it is. This is a shield of the Holy Spirit. And on that shield, you'll see there's a, a P at the top. That's for Peter. There's an F at the lower right for Phileas. An S, S at the lower left for Spiritus Sanctus. And those are the three persons of the Trinity. The first person, Father. The second person, the Son. The Phileus. The third person, the Spiritus Sanctus, the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that there's a circle on the outside of that. And written between Spiritus Sanctus and Pater is non-est, which means is not. And what this diagram teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. But there's a deus in the middle, which means God. And it teaches us that the Father is God that the Son is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. As far as I know, that is the best analogy that there is for explaining what we mean when we say three in one. But it doesn't explain how it can be, does it? That still remains a mystery. You may know this, we have a thing called a book of discipline. It is the law book of our church. It's what people have been arguing about in Portland. In the law book of our church, in the book of discipline that guides our life together, this is our polity that shapes our life. Remember I mentioned that word last week. In that, we have something called doctrinal standards. Now, some other denominations like to say those Methodists don't have doctrine. They're not right. We have doctrine. It's in our book of discipline. We teach it. We preach it. One of our doctrinal standards, the very first one, in Article 1, of our articles of religion, reads about the Trinity this way. Article 1 of faith in the Holy Trinity. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Likewise, we have preserved the doctrinal standards of the Evangelical United Brethren Church that joined with the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1968. Some of y'all remember that, don't you? The Evangelical United Brethren had what were called Articles of Confession, and we kept their Articles of Confession when we joined with them and became the United Methodist Church. The United in our name has never meant that we got along perfectly. <laughs> Article 1, God. We believe in the one true, holy, and living God, eternal Spirit, who is creator, sovereign, and preserver of all things, visible and invisible. He is infinite in power, wisdom, justice, goodness, and love, and rules with gracious regard for the well-being and salvation of people. To the glory of His name, we believe the one God reveals Himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct but inseparable, Eternally one in essence and power. 
Now, these symbols, these creeds, these articles of faith are important. They tell us what the church has believed, but they're not the one in whom we have believed. We use them to express what we believe about God because they represent what we've experienced about God throughout our 2,000 year history of following Jesus. But it's much more important that we actually believe in that God. Much more important than understanding how God is three persons in one being is that we trust our being to that being. It's much more important that we believe in God, that we trust and love God. Those are not matters of dogma, but relationship. The language of Trinity helps us to speak of the relationship that exists between the three persons who are one being. A relationship of love, of sharing, of receiving, of giving, of what we call communion. My friend, Pastor John David Bryant, shared this quote from author Leonard Sweet. Sweet asks, Is not relationship the essence of the Trinity? We do not sing God three pers- in three thesis points, blessed Trinity, but God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Did you hear that in the song we sang? We didn't see, sing God in three ideas, but three persons, three relatable entities, three relatable personalities that come to us to reveal themselves to us as one being, as the God of Israel and the God of Adna. These are not matters of dogma, but relationship. What Jesus offers in John and what Paul relates as Romans is how the Trinity functions. How the Trinity functions. What the Trinity does. The first person of the Trinity, God the Father. The second person, God the Son. The third person, God the Spirit. Exist in a union of love best understood as a circular dance of joy. And of sharing, of caring, of love, of will, of life, and the sharing of glory. For Jesus said that the Spirit takes what is His and glorifies Him by giving it to us. And the Father is glorified. The Father shows forth God's love by sending the Son. And the Son gives the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us hope. The triune God has come to us in God the Son to demonstrate that love and that dance of love to us. To show show us what it looks like to live for others. So that we can join our God in that dance. The dance of a triune life. A life of sharing and commitment to other people. God sends the Son to demonstrate that love to us. And invites us to join that eternal dance of love and life through the power of God the Spirit. That is what the Trinity does. That's good news for us today. In the name of the Blessed Trinity. Amen.